How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Soapstone. My name is Jake, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dave. How's it going tonight, Dave? Ah, all these questions. Questions need to have answers, don't they, Jake? No, they don't. It's one of the purposes of life is solving these mysteries. Anyway, how are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that's a little... <laughs> if the purpose of life is to solve the mysteries and they don't have answers, <laughs> have answers that does say something about life. my mysteries about life by asking uh, these questions. Okay. Oh, the first... Okay, gotcha. The first one. I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. It is a reasonable day. I can move my microphone up slightly so I don't have to, like, slouch over, go full Nostradamus. It's actually uh, Notre Dame, I guess, is the one, but you know what I'm going for. Uh, yeah, doing well. Good, that's good. To hear. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why it takes me so long to like uh, make it through a drive-through or something. They're just like, <laughs> like, good afternoon, how are you doing, or whatever. I'm just like, well, let me tell you. First, let me fix my posture. <laughs> Sit up straight in the seat. <laughs> I love when you know somebody's going to start like not pop off, but kind of like hold court because they, like, uh-huh. they adjust their posture entirely. They're like, yeah. all right, so there I was. And like they have their hands up and everything. You're like, this is going to uh-huh. be a longer story than I would like. <laughs> you just accidentally ask something about some, you ask someone about something that they're actually interested in and you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm aboard the train now. That's what I like to do when I meet new people. I'm like, what do you like? Let's talk mm-hmm. about anything but that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what you say <laughs> regardless of what they respond with you're just like i hate that and then just continue with the same level of exuberance talking <laughs> about something different um yeah that might be that might be misanthropy probably, probably. it's fun in like a, a jokey jokey context i like uh-huh. those fun hypotheticals you're like and then this thing happens he heat but then never actually in real life no yes yeah i mean honestly it's mostly mostly hypotheticals at this point it's very very little real life <laughs> almost all of this is hypothetical or if it's a uh, last thursdayism if you're a last thursdayist um it's all part of the simulation anyway so <laughs> yeah anyways i don't know what we talked about um I guess what last time we talked about religion mm-hmm. and we've definitely talked about politics. We've talked about social situations. We've talked about shows. Let's, let's, let's touch, let's touch back on social situations. Like, <laughs> okay. You know, what right. exactly are they? <laughs> I've heard about these. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they the frequency is increasing a bit more this month. Honestly is a lot more social situations we've gotten uh obviously good friend of the show um temporarily that's a temporary title pretty much everyone's friend of the show friend of the show (laughs) well so everyone's friend of the show by by nature of it i think we've literally said like microsoft was a friend of the show at some point um but good friend of the show is like a temporary spot you kind of like it's like the burger burger king paper crown that they like put on on your head at your birthday and then like you go to walk out and they're like, no, no, like they, they run up and they're like, that's not how this works. And then you take the crown off your head and they like throw it into the fryer and you're like, oh, it's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> so I honestly the person who no longer holds this uh, esteemed title. 
actually, I probably should attract that and this hypothetical <laughs> and this alternate reality that I'm creating in real time. Um, but anyways, it's going to be landing now. I don't know about the previous um, due to the, the upcoming uh, marriage looking thing. Yeah. Good on him. All right. But, so land it until somebody else takes it. Yes. If exactly. you want to get there married, call in. <laughs> we do not perform these services anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we will. Rec- I mean, I, depending on location, I might. Okay. I've been around. J- Jake has married some people before. So, uh... mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like if listeners in particular wanted us to be involved somehow, we could probably like cut together like a marriage soundboard. We'll get you ordained from like the most absurd online site we could. And then just have like a, a dual marriage soundboard where people can just like push different buttons for like different parts of the wedding, throw some reactions in there and be like, Oh my gosh, they're married. Um, <laughs> or like I now pronounce you and then like they can just fill in the rest. I think that'd be great. <laughs> just Unfor- de- DJ unfortunately, it. we have a dated version of the software. Our only options are man and wife. <laughs> I can pronounce, you, pronounce you, you man, you man, 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 or you can double up on wife. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you're gender wife. non-conforming, we'll have to throw in some other sound clips there for you, and I apologize. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I think that'd be a good time. Um, but that's been going on. To get back into raiding and destiny, that's been going on. Got the holiday party coming up. Watching a puppy. Oh, it's the holiday party now? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, no one's going to make a party for Christmas, let's be honest. That's I know true. we kind of... We kind of represented, I thought about this after the previous episode when we were talking about holidays, and I kind of made it seem like I was favoring Christmas by being like, oh yeah, the candy and like some of that stuff, and it's like Halloween's got the decor, no, like Halloween's way further ahead. It's got everything. So it's basically the holiday party, so. I mean, it's the one one holiday party that I care about, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'm invited to a Friendsgiving or two mm. so those are but cool, see but... but that actually says more about thanksgiving because it's like we're not even calling it that anymore that's how low on the roll like on the totem pole it is that it's just like oh no i mean i was just kind of hanging out with friends it wasn't it wasn't a thanksgiving thing like i don't do that right we got we got wawa gobblers we hung <laughs> out all right <laughs> i had a beer too did a shot of cranberry sauce Oof. Out of somebody's belly, but it was a fun yeah. time. But like, <laughs> I wouldn't I like, call it a holiday. <laughs> I like the comedic cutoff of like belly button because you definitely just said belly butt, and I know <laughs> that's not a thing, <laughs> but it's very funny to me. Um, and sometimes you talk about video games, rarely, yeah, if the mood strikes. How about you get stricken by this mood? Whoopow! <laughs> I hope I edit that in to sound very, very convincing. Uh huh. Yeah, I hope so because that was just silence. So I don't know. Um, Did you not hear me say "capel"? <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly well, no, see, "capel." <laughs> I was I was covering for you because if you said that you edited it in, my the the way I thought you were playing that off was you were pretending that the sound you just made would be part of the edit. And I was like, okay, well, in that case, I'll pretend you didn't make a sound, acknowledge that, so that people would believe the sound that was there was the one that you edited in, you know. 
I was trying to back you up. I'll, I'll edit that in as well. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Okay, good. Uh, anyways, I don't know. We talk about uh, we talk about various things. One of those is video game breakdown, where we talk about the concepts in a game. It's been a hot minute since we did one. Um, I don't recall what the last one was. Probably Milba's or something. Um, but this one that sounds right. Yeah, that's my guess. That's my guess. Uh, this one is emergent gameplay, which, much like a beast rising from the depths, comes right at you. It makes you play the game different. There you go. The analogy fell apart, but <laughs> you ever you ever you ever been playing a raft and then a sea beast <laughs> changes how you play the game? Yeah. Um, so with a top level definition of emergent gameplay, because every time we have it. this conversation off, fuck. Um, <laughs> every time that we've had this conversation off podcast, my brain kind of makes a vague assumption, and then I'm like, eh, and mm-hmm. never quite exactly lands. So, for those who are not aware, like myself most times, emerging gameplay is where some feature or interaction in a game ends up changing the gameplay or enabling for different gameplay. Mm-hmm. One example might be you find a glitch in a game. Mm-hmm. So, like bunny hopping in Unreal Tournament. Right. So, like custom games have spun off of that, of like just bunny hop mode mm-hmm. using that. Um, or it might be in something that's more of like an open world game. And my go-to is always Metal Gear Solid Five, where mm-hmm. you have so many tools at your disposal in a very open space. How do you want to approach the situation? Do you want to snipe a mile back? Do you want to run in there with your dog who has a knife and slits people's throats? Do you want to be sneaky beaky and fulton everybody out? Do you want to drop a tank on something? Like it's all up to you. Um, mm-hmm. But and I'd say that those are the two big points of emerging gameplay. That one's emergent gear play in particular, if it's in the MGS universe. Yeah, um, I do want to. I, I do want to. We can talk. We'll we'll talk in a, in a vortex probably of concepts here. But for the second one, it's kind of interesting. I think to to hone in on because open world definitely can have emergent gameplay scenarios, but um, a lot of that comes down to choice, and that's going to be reflected in some other genres we cover. Mm-hmm. Um, emergent gameplay is often defined by okay, the, the player took all of these inputs about the scenario. They're surrounded. Uh, there's an explosive barrel and um, like they have the option to move it around uh, like freeform. Emergent gameplay is the player making the decision to like pick it up, throw it, and then shoot it. Um, Bulletstorm. I actually remember the name of that now. That would be a type of, type of game where I think it's almost like not emergent to me, even though it has all of those aspects because it's so produced it's overproduced to the point where it's like it's expected that you're chaining all these kills and things like that together um whereas like the a good old good old example of emergent gameplay is it feels like you broke the system in some way to uh some desirable outcome hopefully desirable Um, and eventually a lot of this episode is going to be discussing what emergent gameplay is yeah um Mm -hmm. Because you can make arguments in different cases. Because um, I was watching somebody with like a YouTube hypothetical video talk about it. And he said, basically, this is the guy who was talking about some of the open world stuff. Yeah. But it's allowing for player agency to kind of dictate where the game goes. 
Okay. So yeah. obviously, if a game is super linear and you don't really have options, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue that it has emerging gameplay as a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more tools or routes you give a player, they kind of have the option to make their own choices and make it like a different for each time they play through or their experience would be different from somebody else's experience if they got the same game. Yes. As you were describing that, I think it helped me hone in on my definition. Something I don't consider emergent gameplay is someone's presented with like a binary choice. Say you're playing like Mass Effect and it's like save the alien or like harvest the alien for Adam. That's that's Bioshock. Um, But like uh, that's not emergent gameplay. That's just a decision tree. Um, It needs to be a little bit more complex for me to think that like there's more factors at play. It it has to be more of a player decision to do something instead of the developer holding up like, you know, two options. Um, Because that's, I don't know. I don't mean to say that's bad. Binary choices are fine too. And they can definitely, especially like slowing it down and making it a meaningful choice. Like that can be a big moment in a game. Um, But emergent gameplay is much more the player is crafting their own experience to me at least. Yes. One good example I came across was Thief. Remember the Thief games? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the, one of my favorite weapon options in that game is the Moss Arrow. So, costs way too much all the fucking time um, but you can shoot moss arrow on the ground and it kind of expands like this uh, pile of moss and when you walk over it you are dead silent because i don't know if you ever heard somebody walking on moss but you've never heard somebody walking on moss mm-hmm. so it's always used as a stealth option but if you're more of a depraved individual you can shoot a moss arrow into somebody's face and then the moss grows and it chokes them out because <laughs> have you ever heard somebody breathe through moss? No, you haven't. <laughs> also quiet. <laughs> uh, and you walk on their very silent body. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just like a thing where you have a tool, but you mm-hmm. have options to use it in multiple ways. Right. In the same yeah. way, you could use an arrow to shoot somebody or shoot it off of something metal so to create a sound, uh, thus creating a diversion or distraction. Mm-hmm. I think Thief, Thief is a, a strong example because there could be multiple things at play that really drives drives home. Like if this was to isolate the definition, I guess, if this was like shoot man in the face or shoot the ground simulator, that's not emergent gameplay. But Thief puts you in scenarios where it's like a guard is approaching. Do you shoot the ground behind you and scurry away a little bit quicker? Um to try to escape silently uh do you kind of panic and you're like okay well this is supposed to be a no kill run and <laughs> shoot him in the face like that is that is emergent gameplay it's like a, a conflux of uh scenarios that cause you to make a decision um so i think thief is a great example uh because Everyone wants it to go super smoothly and there's the no detection and the game puts tension on you by putting you more into scenarios where um, maybe it doesn't go perfectly. How do you recover now, right? Like that recovery stage where it's not like a payday to pre-planning, right? Where it's like, okay, we've got it all here. We put the body bags here. We'll get the key card here. We'll yeah. get the extra drop here. Um, it's not really emergent unless you had to make a choice along the way 
to recover to me at least with thief though i remember you could always sprint away and enough for them to be like oh i guess he's dead i don't get paid <laughs> enough for this shit and they just yeah. kind of like man fuck it i'm going back to my patrol route no one can run 15 seconds and not drop dead so he's, <laughs> he's gone ah <laughs> oh, they have my methodology of exercise i appreciate that yeah but in like a similar vein uh, i know we mentioned mgs5 uh-huh. but i feel like with that like there are so many options for how you approach it oh yeah and that can almost be argued it's kind of similar to skyrim where like oh you have to defeat the boss do you use magic do you use this weapon do you use that weapon mm-hmm. and how different is each thing actually mm-hmm. um but one thing i remember specifically about mgs5 is between donkey's multiple videos on it between when i played it but between uh-huh. when other people played it, we talked about it it's always just like hey did you ever try this dumb thing or you just watch the the hand of jehudi mm-hmm. you know rocket punch off and like hit people and just giving you that dumb option makes you want to try it so you will try and almost um choose a very narrow option of approach because you're like oh i have to try this one thing mm-hmm. and then it usually yeah. goes horribly because you've never used it before and then how do you recover from the situation do you run away do you try and kill everybody uh do you lose there was a I'm glad you mentioned Donkey because that was literally I was thinking of one particular scene from from the clip he he did on that, which was um, something I didn't even know was possible in game, which is something that I think is a great indication of emergent gameplay is um, he surrounded an enemy with snake decoys and they were just saying, like, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. And he was just sitting down here. He's like prone, like within sight, basically. But the A.I is programmed not to really know which one's real if there's decoys in play. Mm-hmm. So he, the guy's just like running around like meleeing these balloon snakes that are surrounding <laughs> him. And he's just like freaking out. And they're just saying, you're pretty good. <laughs> you're pretty good. <laughs> and it's like, it's freaking amazing. Or like sledding down uh, the sand in the cardboard box, like on a hill or something like that. Like stuff I never thought to do completely possible because they're like what if someone tries this oh yeah we should put it in and that's like the best type of play box or play box sandbox for that type of game yeah it's always nice when you as a player have like a not a harebrained idea but wouldn't it be cool if x interacted mm. with x mm. in a certain way and then it does i know yeah. like a very common thing in shooters is anytime that you are shooting the floor or the ground you're like i want to see bullet marks i want to know that this is interacted in some degree Mm-hmm. Or if you're in Overwatch and you're waiting on attack, you get to like shoot some things and break them or knock them over. You're like, okay, I'm interacting with things. Right. I'm glad the game's accounted for that in my OCD boredom. Um, so when you get to do other things like, oh, if I put a fire arrow here, will this set fire to stuff? Will it cause an explosion? Will it? All that stuff really becomes fun because it, it takes it out of the, the theoretical, wouldn't it be cool if, into oh, that's an option I have to now utilize. Absolutely. Into the realm of possible tools. Yeah, the world the world feels better. Games will also f- always feel more immersive if it reacts to your actions, right? If I were to take like a, a kind of bad example, I think like, like Mass Effect, going back to that for a second, not actually Bioshock this time. Like in the third game, they're like, because you can import your save across all of them. 
uh, you start to get some of the consequences in quotes. I'm putting this in massive quotes. You can't see it, but just absolutely gigantic quotes. Consequences of your actions. And there are some real ones. You know, your, your, your crew might not be the same people you started with, you know, depending on choices. But you also just get like messages in your computer terminal. They were just like, hey, thanks for saving me two, two games ago. <laughs> or like, ah, you suck. You killed my brother two games ago. Right. Like, <laughs> and that I, I had no attachment to that whatsoever. But like contrast that to something like, uh, like Breath of the Wild, just trying random crap and then being amazed when it worked. It's just like, oh, geez, I'll freeze to death in this area and I don't have any warm clothes. I'm going to catch myself on fire and just literally burn through my own health for a period of time to see if it resets my like permafrost counter or whatever. My frost counter literally works. Yeah. Good idea. No better ideas out there. A hundred percent. Don't do that, but it works and you can try it. Yeah. And so many of the things in Zelda, cause it's big Zelda sandbox. A lot of those tools are like, Hey, in this one dungeon, here's how you solve this puzzle. Like it's meant to be used outside, but then how you use it really varies. Like, do you use the thing to like pick it up and drop a, a boulder down a hill to take out an encampment? Do you freeze a box and hit it multiple times and then launch across the map? Uh huh. Speedrun strats have come out of this stuff. Um, yeah. But it's all about how you're using the tools that you're given. And the more option you have and the more feasible interactability versus just oh, I can do that thing. And it doesn't really have any effect with anything else. Mm -hmm. I think your tools need to have interactions with the environment mm -hmm. to some useful degree to really get you in that direction. Yeah. And you feel the absence of it. I think like for how cool it feels when you try something and it works out because it seems logical that it should work out. I feel it's even more detrimental to a game when that isn't present. Right. It's like, what if you were um, freezing in an area and you were supposed to have warm weather clothes and you're like, that's it. I'm going to run across a bonfire and maybe that'll help me get there. And then you still see the cold debuff ticking down and you're on fire and you're like, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate because like in my head, it seemed like it would work, but it didn't work here. That feels infinitely worse to me because it makes it seem like your ingenuity is not being rewarded. And that's one of the key things about emergent gameplay. You'll see this like across the entire list is people. They either accomplish what the game wants them to do in a novel way, or they accomplish something the game very much does not want them to do in a novel way. And um, various games have different amounts of how much they enable that. But we'll see in some of these examples that, uh, uh, it's it's fun, especially when you get into like this the social aspect of how people play games differently. I think that's that's fun. Cue my Elden Ring tangent. Um, <laughs> but I was gonna say really quick, something I always thought of with emerging gameplay is even going back to TF2 days. Not even like invoking that name, mm -hmm. um, but like rocket jumping, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they had it accounted at some point that people could rocket jump, or maybe it was a bug in another game. It was quick. Yeah. Over. Okay. But having that, oh, the it has a knockback radius. Oh, I can knock myself back without mm -hmm. dying. Okay. So now you have this new platforming mechanic and you can put it into other games. And 
you see remnants of that like back when we did halo 2 we would always do we wouldn't always do it, but like even in public maps if you got like overshield and you're playing pubs i forget the map but it's like a small island with like a a little bastion tower in the middle mm-hmm. it's very odd it's one of the dlc maps from the first set but uh if you went on to like a little sand shield in the i don't know what the fuck they're called it's like a small barrier but uh-huh. it was like a, a wall up front and then like a little thing on the back just to counterbalance it. If you stood on that little stick, shot the wall with a rocket and you had the overshield, you would get yeeted into space. You uh-huh. could go on top of that level and you could snipe people. And it was great fun for me. Um, or if like you saw somebody else who's trying to glitch, you're like, nope, shoot him before he does it. <laughs> but right. it, was, it was a nice, diverse way to do it because it didn't feel like people were cheating per se Mm -hmm. it was a very high risk high reward thing to try and pull off glitches especially in like a pubs map where if they see you they're just going to shoot you Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just nice to add that option into the mix because that's what a lot of my gaming became after a point it's like oh i've done halo 2 multiplayer so much i just want to hang around with friends and find other glitches we can do right yeah, that's you've reached like the mastery stage. You're like, I've I've played the game. I've gotten what I want out of the game. I want more from this game. How far can we take it? And, you know, that's that's really where speed running and things like that come into play. So if you want as, to see my fan art, it's on <laughs> the uh, as you were describing that, I just thought of a very, very recent gaming memory. Um, and I'm not sure if you were there for this particular run or not, but we were running. Destiny? It was Destiny, so Dares of I've Eternity. Seen you do it so many times, Jake. <laughs> well, so so that one actually, I wasn't even thinking about that. That one's true. There's a glitch that you can like do some moves rapidly, and you just fly forward ridiculously fast. They might have fixed it in the last patch, actually. Um, I haven't tested it yet, but uh, uh, there's also an issue where if you get hit with like a melee attack, mm-hmm. um, and usually this is to your detriment, you just go flying. And it's not really, it has something to do with the interaction with you jumping while it's happening. But anyways, I was in the last area of Dares of Eternity, which is just big boss battle arena, basically. Um, And I get hit with one of these melee attacks and I go like 300 feet up in the air. And as a a warlock, I'm just like, okay, I'm immediately going to like eat my grenade. Basically, you don't eat it. You like hold it in your hand until it bursts. But it makes it so you can just like float around kind of like a hovercraft at your current altitude. Mm-hmm. and I was just like, this is where I live now, and I just told everybody <laughs> else who was playing with me, like, look up, and I'm just like all the way up here, and I have a rocket launcher. I had Yallerhorn, actually, at the time, and I'm just like bombing run, basically, people on the ground <laughs> until I until I dropped, and it was... Is this it was really after I dropped? It might have been the round after that, yeah. Oh, my God. But it was, it was really entertaining, and I think in a way I can completely agree with you know that that or that older like halo we found a glitch we're just going to play it out right it doesn't always have to be super advantageous but it's endlessly novel and it feels good to pull it off yeah like i don't know how many glitch videos you've watched in other games well let's again go back to elder ring as a cheap example um you're like oh you can kill this boss and then walk off of an edge mm-hmm. how many times do you try and do that like, oh my god, it is possible. Yeah. Um, and you might do it just to like cheese or part of like a speed run thing, or maybe you're doing like a a low level run or something. I don't know. It's just it's fun to try those things and realize that it is possible. 
mm-hmm. and then go off and do more with it. Because I it, feel it, every time I watch people play games that I'm in, currently playing or I'm about to play, Smash being a good example, I'm like, oh shit, I didn't realize that interaction was possible. Right. Let me try and use that. Let me put that in the banks. I like that, like this idea of, you know, kicking people off ledges is a tried and true staple of video games, I think. But like, as you're describing that and like how you might be able to try it on bosses in Elden Ring, my brain immediately goes all the way back to DS1 and um, Law Trek getting uh, the Ring of Favor and Protection fap. You just kick him. He's standing there. You can talk to him while he's sitting there at Firelink Shrine and you're like, Mm-hmm. You're a tough enemy. You have these like sword breaker type uh, uh, like uh, sickle and the sword breaker, something like that weapon that's pretty dangerous to you at low levels and you have to be like pretty good at the game. So that's not an option I was taking. Um, or you can kick him repeatedly towards the direction of the cliff. And as long as you haven't kicked him too many times, he'll fall off the cliff, die, and you automatically get his loot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's emergent gameplay right there. Is it the way the developers wanted you to play it? Probably not. Is it something that maybe someone did in QA and they're like, huh? Yeah, sure. Leave it in. You know, there's a good chance. Also an equal chance. No one did it in QA, you know, based off of how DS1 originally launched, but <laughs> at least for PC. Um, but it's it feels good to feel like you've gotten one over on the game and that you're helping push it. Um, IGN actually does a I'm, I'm not shilling for them they don't pay us any money um, but they have a sequence where they'll like get a speedrunner to do a live speedrun of somebody's game and they'll bring the developers in and talk about it at the same time and I love that the the confusion and astonishment when developers realize like how broken <laughs> their game really is uh, to these people who are tearing it apart. Um, but the best ones are the people who also like, they don't feel it's offensive. It's more of a, what would be the word? They, they, they appreciate the effort put into figuring it all out. I think for a lot of speed runners, speed runners, it's a passion project mm-hmm. of utilizing certain tools in the handbook. Plus honestly, just grinding and figuring some shit out. Because there always has to be one person who like has spent a ridiculous amount of time to find one dumb thing and then post on a wiki for somebody else to use. Um, right. By the time you've read it as a non-speedrunner, you're like, oh, that's cool. And you might try it yourself, um, maybe less likely yeah. if it's like very uh, mechanically nuanced. Um, but I like that it exists so much to the point where like speedrunning has been a thing for a while. Glitch abuse has been I think for a while, which is why you have like glitchless runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know with certain games like Celeste, they literally planned like all of their seasides. You have to do some very specific mechanical stuff. Um, and if you go back and like you do all the end game content and you come back, you realize you can abuse some of those mechanics earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. So I think they had all of this in mind to a degree. Um, to give you like, hey, do you want to do this jump that makes you go a lot faster and further? Do you have to precisely do it? Or do you want to, oh, do you want to just dash off frame and then keep going up the screen? Because that's an option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. 
There's was there a, a game in particular that you saw that people were um, braving? Hmm. That's a great question because it's been a while since I saw some of their videos and now I can't recall. Oh, no, I do remember one. Um, Outer Worlds uh, had a you can kind of um, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but uh, there's a way to end the game extra early if you do something really stupid. <laughs> like you know how in um using metal gear, gear solid for example if you like break continuity the game's like hey game over time paradox right yeah there's something that exists in uh outer worlds where it's like we gave you every single possible hint that trying to do what you're about to do is a really, really bad idea, and you did it anyways, game over. <laughs> um, and the speedrunners count that as a legit ending to the game. So I think combined with some early game tech and some skips and uh, some saves, uh, they beat the game in like nine minutes. And it's normally like a 15 plus hour long game and like this long form RPG thing. Um, and the developers were pretty humbled I guess by that because they were like we put so much effort into all these other parts of the game that you absolutely are destroying right now <laughs> but uh, no they were really good sports one of the reasons I like Obsidian that was cool yeah do you have oh, did, uh, oh, did you say Obsidian yeah I've heard of them so anyway Divinity Original Sin 2 <laughs> um, <laughs> it's something that I remember watching a speedrun of, and it is also a very long game. One of the few RPGs that I've actually enjoyed, played, and played through like three times now. Mm -hmm. I might take a break until Baldur's Gate 3 is finished, and I'll right. check that out. But even when we did our initial playthrough, do you remember? This is still on the first island. There was a cathedral we had to fight in. Uh, yes, yes, I think okay, so. A so, bunch of so paintings think, and stuff there. Mm -hmm. So I think initially on the island, we also figured out that pretty much whenever dialogue happens with an NPC and a party member, it freezes for the NPC and the party member. Everybody uh -huh. else has free action to do whatever the fuck they want. So uh -huh. if we stole an item from somebody, they'd go, the NPC would be like, who stole this from me? They'd go to the first possible person, the closest one. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go to like the next closest possible person. So... If the first possible person did not have the item and somebody else did, as soon as they were done talking, you just give it to that first person again because they're mm -hmm. not going to go back and talk to them again. And so you just play swap the stolen item around. And then there's like disgruntled, like, where'd my item go? Yeah. And it's not free. Now it's cool. And we're like, okay, if they're talking and they can't move, we're good. Oh, also physical objects have, you know, they take up space. Mm -hmm. And we had something called telekinesis. And we took the paintings that Jake was describing in this cathedral. And I essentially, before the fight, while Jake was like mid conversation, I moved all these heavy paintings and like encircled like three or four people and then put like my melee brawler guy in there with like a lot of AOE options. And I'm like, let's <laughs> go. You made the Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah, I built the Thunderdome and then invoked the thunder. It mm. was, I spent way, we spent way too long setting it up, but it will always live on for me as like a fun memory of, hey, wouldn't it be funny if, and boy, it was fun. Oh, yeah. No, it's, 
It's absolutely great. And it really like the description of even just passing around stolen items like that. Like it seems reminiscent of old like um, uh, what what were those those old comedies where like people are just running around slapstick sort of uh, like Three Stooges or silent films. Anyways, I can't remember the term. It's right there. But listeners, please let me know what the term is. Um, but like people just passing this item around while someone's running around, you know, trying to find the thief. Right. It's just it's really hilarious and fun to play out. In, Obvious in the game to the too. audience. But yes, exactly. Um, and absolutely, we're going to take advantage of stuff like that. You know. Um, it's it's fun to play games like that um, and kind of especially harder games where it's like it's trying to kick your butt. So you're like, I'm going to take it whatever advantage I can. Um, yeah, so. the, the amount of times I've tried jumping up hills or mountains or any terrain to be like let's see how much friction this, these bad boys have got um mm-hmm. and i consistently have done it in every single game ever right can I fly up here can i jump up this thing can i somehow get around it with my expert traversing mm-hmm. a lot of times the answer is no but sometimes it works and you're like uh-huh yeah <laughs> now what do i do i'm stuck um Movement's a. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying it's it's a fun thing, um, because like I think jumping in video games in general is always just a fun idle thing. Yeah. I don't know if you played WoW back in the day, but just being in like a trading hall, waiting for like the party to group up or LFG, and you're just like dicking around. You're either you've emoted already. You're like, I'll jump on stuff. Can I jump on Mm -hmm. top of? How many things can I jump on top of? It's really just your idle brain looking for something, but you uh-huh. simply made like a, your own mini game for yourself with that. And even when we're playing Destiny, I will always like abuse my jumps to go explore somewhere or try and make a certain pattern with my jumps mm-hmm. consistently while we're waiting on stuff. And again, it's like my own little mini game. It doesn't affect the gameplay, but I'm getting enjoyment out of it because I'm fucking around with the game, finding stuff that is possible, and then utilizing. Yeah, I can empathize with that entirely. I didn't play WoW in its heyday, but I played Star Wars Galaxies around the same time. And it had a technical jump. I don't even think it was bound by default. It didn't like change your actual vertical position. It was just an animation. Like if you wanted to like climb something, you had to run up it. Jumping didn't do anything. If you walked upstairs, sure your height changes, but as soon as like you would walk off a ledge, you just instantly drop down cuz there's it just translates you I don't know why the game was that way. It was one of the jankier things about it. I still ran around jumping all the time. Literally accomplished nothing. It made the game look super janky. Like, it's just flailing your arms, you know, with a, a blaster rifle in, in hand while you, like, jump in the air. <laughs> it's <laughs> absolute absurdity. But um, it's interaction. And although maybe it's not the most complicated or uh, glamorous form of emergent gameplay, it's still people playing the game the way that they want to. Um, a lot of those old early MMO like behaviors basically determined how MMOs played, right? Like if you were talking about kiting enemies, that's emergent gameplay. That's actually like a separate behavior. The game doesn't tell you normally, Hey, you can run away from this and shoot the enemy repeatedly. And that way he's not going to like 
run up and kill you, <laughs> right? Um, and maybe if you run too far, he'll leash would be the term, right? Run back and get all his health back. So it's like run him around in a circle. Don't run too far, but like run around, run him around in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, that's all emergent gameplay too. And um, I actually have one last, one last example. So hopefully you're thinking of a good follow-up because I have no segue off this. But um, Guild Wars. The original Guild Wars had this, I don't know why it was in the game. I think it's because NPCs and PCs were coded the same way um in certain aspects but basically if an enemy npc killed you it got experience and the the beginning of the game this is a spoiler for guild wars no one cares in the beginning of the game it's like a pre kind of apocalypse before timeline jump area where everything's really nice and mm-hmm. people liked it um so they kind of started to develop this group of type of player that would never finish a certain quest they would do the time skip to like the more desolate, darker future where almost the entire game actually took place. They're basically in the prologue. But enemies don't level up. Like normally they're all really low levels and you'll stop getting experience. So you can't max out a character in the prologue unless you die to an enemy repeatedly in order to level it up and then you kill it for a little bit of experience and you continue to do that all the way until you hit level cap. Dave looks like he's in pain. That's uh, so much. That is it's so, so much, much murdering an NPC and letting an NPC murder you to then get like minimal gains. Uh-huh. Like, do you remember but, that one, that infamous, I shouldn't say infamous, there's so many, episode of South Park with uh, the WoW? Oh, yeah. I sound like an old person. With the WoW? But basically, the, the player killer character who was hacking was killing everybody everywhere else. So they stayed at like the lowest level possible thing and killed things for like two XP and then mm-hmm. grinded for weeks. And that's how I imagine that going yeah. again for the gain of like, I don't want to leave this area. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now arena net is the company that owns it. They did actually recognize the players that made it and they gave them titles. There's an exclusive title and it actually carries from guild wars one to guild wars two. And it's only attainable by hitting maximum level in the prologue. So they ultimately did get some sort of compensation, but the first people that did it, they just, they liked how, uh, how pleasant the world was. And they were mostly social players, I guess some overlap with insanity if they're going to death grind NPCs, but yeah, there's, I I love my friends, but I can't play games with them constantly. I just need Mm -hmm. like a change of pace from time to time. Did you think of a segue though? What? Uh, (laughs) Another thing I did think of uh, back in the older Diablo 2 days, um, if you drop an item on the ground, Mm -hmm. it, you know, takes up a a place, right? So if, like, you drop gold, it's like, oh, there's gold in the ground. You can drop, like, Mm -hmm. a gold at a time or up to, like, I think stacks of, like, a couple thousand. Yeah. what the cap was. But I remember in high school, we were like, Oh, we should like drop some gold and see how much it would, how long it would take to like fill up an area, mm-hmm. because it takes up like a discernible spot where if an item's already there, you can't have another item there, so it has to fill a different spot. Basically, hex grids, hex yeah. grid kind of on the map, yeah. So we spent like three hours with like three separate people filling up the rogue encampment with single pieces of gold, 
until uh-huh. the entire thing was filled with gold. <laughs> because if you just keep dropping it in place, it's like it does the uh, traveling salesman problem of like, hey, where's the next available place I can put this? Because immediately adjacent is not an option. Uh huh. So you just kept dropping like single things of gold. And eventually, like the whole thing was just gilded. Um, it looks so dumb, but I was so weirdly proud of the amount of effort we put into it. Mm-hmm. You were also playing Guild Wars. Different type of guild, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's early. That's early gameplay, though. Um, one of my early fond uh, memories was literally again Star Wars Galaxies. I was playing with my friend at the time who got me into the game, and then he quit. So maybe that's where I learned that behavior, actually. <laughs> but um, and I kept playing the game. Um, and we had nothing to do, no fixed goal. We just went out and we made a camp on, I, I think it's like indoor or something like that. And we were just literally sitting there with a little campfire in a tent. And we're just like talking about random crap in a game, not mm-hmm. actually doing gameplay things. Um, and that whole social thing is really what, I mean, that's what made MMOs, including wow. Um, were those those the ties that bind um even more so than the grinding i think the grind that binds mm-hmm. that's good though i like that um you brought up wow so i did have one story about it uh, that i think pertains to um uh, emerging gameplay and maybe you're familiar with this one it's actually really popular because it's been studied uh but are you familiar with the corrupted blood incident yep okay um so maybe you have more details than I actually have, but uh, the part that I recall, because again, I didn't really play well, but I read about it because this was kind of a big deal, was there was a boss and it applied a dot um, as part of the raid. Uh, but what someone discovered is if they had a pet out and the pet was afflicted by the dot and then the pet was put away, when the pet was then brought back out, the dot was still in effect on the pet, which would be fine, except corrupted blood spreads to nearby players or npcs exactly do you remember the fallout of this do you want to tell the second half so tldr um somebody got like their pet with corrupted blood and they put the pet away and not knowing about the bug i assume went to like a small player area where it's like hey this is a hub for new players or something um, or like a, like a massive trading hall, whatever it may be. But essentially the dot spread to a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it kept happening where something would always be afflicted with corrupted blood based off of it going to a pet and the pet going back in their inventory. So like, I don't want my pet to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kept going consistently until I think they had to restart the server. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to like hot fix it. I think yeah. to, to to purge it. The thing that was again, I didn't play it, but I saw screenshots of this, and this was like this was prime Kotaku slash you know, like the the golden days of news gaming news journalism, I guess. And there were screenshots of just like cities that were just covered in skeletons from all of the players that died <laughs> due to the corrupted blood plague, because um, it could extend. The big thing was like cities were normally non combat zones. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You can't cleanse this, I guess, outside of certain abilities or mechanics in the raid. 
So it's spreading amongst people who are there trying to hawk their wares or ERP or doing whatever nonsense here in the city, like killing everybody. And it was just, it was so cool that the, um, the big takeaway I remember was that uh, uh, people used it to study like the behaviors of ec- epidemics. That was something that came out of it. And that was also a tell for how many people were playing WoW at the time, right? But yeah. Well, I'm glad that we used that information to uh, <laughs> to great effect in uh-huh. recent years. Um, yeah. That's what they should have called it. They should have just called it Corrupted Blood 2 and people would have paid more attention. That's what I'm going to start calling it now retroactively. <laughs> right. Sorry, I caught Corrupted Blood. In the history books anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the reason that's kind of emergent is past the point, they actually started to study the different player groups and some players wanted to spread it. They were oh, the yeah. agents of chaos, right? There's always going to be there's always going to be somebody to be like, everyone's trying to you know do this one thing. I'll be counterculture. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just and like... I don't, I don't disparage that. I know I gave that person like a, a funny, evil character accent, but mm-hmm. in, in the context of it just being a game, yeah, I like that it exists. I don't know if I would necessarily be that person, yeah, but I like that it exists. Mm-hmm. I like when microcosms emerge from stuff like that. No, it's it's absolutely legit. Um, that's probably that's probably one of the top behaviors. Obviously, I don't want to spend too much t- so t- so much time talking about MMOs, um, but you see a lot of emergent gameplay in MMOs because people like spend their lives in them. So obviously, they're going to find weird weird things to do. You could talk about Eve a ton. You could talk about other stuff. Um, one that I know that you're also going to be more familiar with is um, Left 4 Dead. And it almost has, like, by definition, emergent gameplay in the form of the AI director. Do you remember uh, what the director did in Left 4 Dead? It was kind of publicized. I remember, I feel like Gabe Newell himself was talking about it as, like, a selling point for the game. I think the director is basically... Uh compensation so like if you're running through an area really hard just kicking its ass it's gonna be like oh yeah Uh, (laughs) it's more likely to spawn more enemies or more difficult enemies to try Mm -hmm. and match pace yeah it's like a reactive thing so it's not just oh i'm really good at the game i can burn through it versus these noobs Mm mm-hmm ideally targeting that the noobs and the experienced players are still having the same level of relative difficulty per their mm-hmm. own skill set. That's a really good way to put it. I didn't have it refined to such a good sentence, but that's a really good summary, I think. Well, Jake, it's, here's it's, the thing. You're not, an, you're not an English major. That's true. Are you, are you an English major? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe an English comedy major. There you go. That should be something, I think. Um, yeah, it tries to balance out the gameplay. I, I think I remember I remember sometimes we'd be really struggling and then I would see multiple med kits, maybe. And I was just like, oh, I mean, on one hand, great, because we're not going to wipe this run. On the other hand, 
the AI director actually figured out how bad we are <laughs> and it's it's figuring out how to like compensate our gameplay here uh which i i think is is humbling compared to like hey we spawned in a bunch of extra special infected here it's like here's full heals because you need every chance you can get <laughs> at this point <laughs> it just gives you four defebs it's like mm. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. road ahead's gonna be bumpy yep um, so I think that one's good and that's a good like mesh that goes back into like the developers being part of the emergent gameplay you're trying to get the players to play the game to full enjoyment but keep th- you're, you're, you're tailoring the gameplay in such a way that they'll be more reactive um, which I think is cool um, yeah I like that and with Left 4 Dead as an example it always has like a really I don't know how much it shifted since um mm-hmm. But it always had like a decent meta game, in my opinion. Right. Like talk starting about uh, what the fuck's the hospital? Not Mercy, because we're talking no Left Mercy. Dead Two here. Left for Dead Two. Oh, Left for Dead Two. Oh, um, I'm less familiar with Two. We know I'll look it, it up though. Off with like the two, loudest fucking helicopter in the world, and you're in this building, and you have to go down the building. I need to buy, need to buy more time. I'm trying okay. to type slowly. So I'll explain while Jake's looking this up. But you're basically in this building and you're going down a hallway. It's like a big apartment building. Um, mm. But certain parts of the hallway, it's like, oh, are they going to be hiding boomers behind a door to try and assault us? Oh, are was they going to try and put a charger out the window? Was that a hospital? I thought it was like an apartment. Maybe it was a hospital. I, I said apartment after. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. I was looking for a hospital. I have no idea what it's called, by the way. <laughs> I'll try again. I'm, I'm blanking on it weirdly, but um, apartment map. Certain the spots apartments. became more advantageous, uh, so to speak, as far as like alleging somebody, because mm-hmm. like you could be a smoker and you could go downstairs, and there's way to ledge for somebody around the corner ever so slightly. You tongue them off, and just that little bit, they're now stuck mm-hmm. on that spot, and somebody has to go help them. Okay. Now we're going to situate a spitter over here. So if somebody does try and go help them, we'll spit acid on them. So the person's kind of stuck there and you kind of focus all the survivors together and maybe you get a nice charge off or something. But it was always a game of how fast can we go through? Can we assume where they're going to be spawned? Can we react Mm -hmm. fast enough? Versus the infected trying to set up these death traps repeatedly. Because it's usually hard to get in one, unless it just it went perfectly. Yes, yeah, yeah. You'd have to have absolutely everybody incapacitated, and usually that's not the expectation. If you got somebody down like a health state after your attack, that's usually pretty good. Two people, you're in a good spot. Um, But uh, I think it's dead center, based off of my reading. Yeah, that's the one. Which is not a very memorable name either no. right like <laughs> they kind of they gave up at that point they're like dead air okay that means something dead center i guess shooting maybe that's like shooting i don't know didn't think about that till right now um there was a particular spot we tried to i, I probably told this story at some point probably in the, the, the left for dead episode um where you can instant kill people and the near the top of the hospital and no mercy in the unfinished uh cement area at the once you go up the elevator um and there's like a left ledge where for some dang reason if a survivor is affected by knockback they don't grab the ledge they just fall off of the top of the hospital um 
And we were both scared and also very opportunistic whenever the versus campaign entered this little space because we're like, we got to be very careful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, that was great. I love finding little stuff like that. And you're like, I'm going to save this for later. Mm -hmm. That little piece of information of this interaction is possible in this way. And then you pull out of the back pocket later. Yeah. And there was the the hunter meta, right? Like people started the game and they'll just jump at you, right? Like I got to get you on the ground so I can get some scratches in and stuff. Then you're like, okay, well, we'll start to coordinate with other infected. Okay. Now hunter has evolved to the point where the goal is no longer to jump straight at them. It's to like launch yourself up in the air from a very high spot and maximize your pounce damage, your initial impact damage. It's because like you do the 89 degree shot. Uh-huh. Because there was so much um it was so much more reliable. You you'd expect the survivors to be able to shoot you off so fast that the best play was now this high risk, high reward air shot. Um it's freaking great. Yeah. Gotta love some metagame in there too to mm-hmm. uh, help mix things up. Yeah. My my list is starting to run a bit low. Some others I wanted just rapid fire. Obviously, tribes skating. I love tribes, and skating was a physics glitch that they put in the game. And then a piece of trivia. Um, apparently, combos, the very ability to hit multiple times and for it to be true is what we in the biz call it, um, without the opponent being able to do anything in response. That was a glitch. <laughs> I was in Street Fighter 2, and it was like an exploit players used. Um, that the developers did not re- originally intend, but you can't really patch games that come out on in arcade cabinets that easily. So combos, <laughs> that's what we have now. <laughs> They've been around ever since. <laughs> uh huh. Well, you're not taking. You're probably not going to take them away at this point, given that it's like the fighting game is, uh, community is a little bit addicted to them now. Yeah, I can't imagine they would have taken off otherwise uh-huh because like without combos being an option it's you have like your light punches like kicks heavy punches heavy kicks and a grab in there so people don't lock themselves in like a block position right right you could just imagine how how much less engaging a lot of these games would have been though if as an industry standard there was always the option to block after you were hit mm-hmm. right how much less interesting would these games be? Yeah. I'll be playing the character Riot Shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, you said Riot Shield. This is my last this is my actual last one. Anyway, Call of Duty. <laughs> Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2. Uh I think it's Modern Warfare 2. Yes, that's the one that had Riot Shields. Um what a great way to play the game. Shield in front of you no actual weapon equipped outside of the shield slowly approaching as they like just pepper the, the the shield full of bullets just so you can like maybe bash them a little bit if they choose not to retreat for some dang reason love it prime gameplay you could also put it on your back and it could catch bullets sometimes then excellent excellent the way the way the way combat is meant to work <laughs> like swords that was a period of time. Guns, that was a period of time. The future is just army versus army, 
right shield. shield on back, right shield in hands. Let's go for it. <laughs> That's yeah. my last example. It was always fun to like try and hold the shield and get close. Oh, they're reloading knife. Uh huh. Throw like throw the knife real quick. Yeah, that was an actual viable build though. I like that. Anything to counter than like nineteen, not nineteen elevens. That's a pistol, but the shotguns. You know the ones I'm talking about, the dual wield akimbo single fire shotguns that are like lever action. I, I've probably seen it in a video, but I remember really doing akimbo myself. Yeah, there wasn't that many in Modern Warfare 2, but one of the Akembo options were these single-fire shotguns, and people just had speed builds where they just ran through the map, and they're like, shotgun, shotgun, shotgun. It's like the dumbest just, stuff. Just playing scout. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. That's emerging gameplay, I guess. Yeah. That's it. That's oh, the episode. example of emerging okay. gameplay? <laughs> uh, the dick in Cyberpunk 2077. Ah. Because... Because of the, the closed glitches. Because it, it would glitch outside of the ah, yeah. Therefore, mm-hmm. it was emerging from the... Yeah. No, that's emergent dick play. That's a different thing. So... <laughs> 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 Anyways. Uh, I'm just going to end the episode. So, bye. No, I'm just kidding. Um, thank you guys for listening to this one. I know this one was a little bit of a weird one. But hopefully, we brought you down at least one nostalgia trip. Um, and got you thinking about some of your favorite forms of emergent game playing games. Um, besides the cyberpunk one obviously um outside of that should you have ideas for future episodes we're always excited to hear them you could send those in to soapstonepodcast at gmail.com or you can join the discussion on facebook which is a social media platform at facebook.com slash soapstonepodcast and as always we'll see you in the next one have a good dick play <laughs>